And I said to my nurse, if I grow up, I'm going to do the Boston Marathon. I didn't know it at the time, but I would never, ever run another step. So I raised the money, I grabbed my crutches, and 13 hours later, we crossed the finish line. And he said, you can't do this again. And that was such a tipping point for me. It was one thing for me to be like, I can't do this, but for somebody else to say it, I basically looked at him and I said, you can't tell me what to do. I'm doing it again. And it put other options out there for people that might have some type of impairment. It just not only opens up doors for me, but it opens up doors for somebody else who might want to try to do what I'm doing. As I stopped my head from exploding, I just looked at her and I said, you know, I think all of us are are much more capable than what we believe. Hello and welcome to The Activist. I'm Elise Mason, here with Jamie King. Today we are so pleased to bring you into conversation with Devin Murphy. She overcame a diagnosis of terminal cancer at age 11 to become an adaptive athlete who has won the Boston Marathon, loves obstacle racing, and has her sights set on her first triathlon. Let's hear her story about defying expectations over and over again. Hi, Devin. So nice to talk to you today. Hi, nice to talk to you too. Thank you for joining us. Would you just tell us a little bit about who you are and where to find you online so that all of our listeners can connect with you? Sure. My name is Devin Murphy. I'm an adaptive athlete, which if people don't know what that means, it's somebody with some type of, it could be physical, visual, hearing impairment. I've gotten pretty heavily involved in adaptive sports. You can follow all of my antics on Instagram at ADK underscore hand cyclist. Great. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself in the world of adaptive athletics? What's your story and how did you get here? Sure. I just turned 11. So this is in 1991, which totally just gave my age away. Anyway, I played um, softball on a little league team. And truthfully, I was terrible. Rarely ever was able to hit the ball. Rarely ever caught the ball. So I was destined to be a bench warmer, I think, but I just happened to play in a game. A pop fly was hit. I jumped up to catch the pop fly, caught it, which was like, whoa, this never happens. But when I landed, I landed in a split and I had this really weird, just instant pain sensation. I was a kid. I thought nothing of it. I played another inning and a half until it got to the point where I could not make it onto base. Like, I was just struggling to get there. So coach pulled me. I cried like a baby. And my mom said, it hurts that much you're crying. I'm like, well, no, I just got pulled from a game. That's why I'm crying. (laughs) The ER anyways. So this is probably the end of June, I believe. Go to the ER and they say, oh, it's pulled muscles. No big deal. You know, rest, ice, elevation, that whole bit. So we did that. Maybe two weeks later, was not feeling better at all. So I'm an ortho specialist who said, it's pulled muscles. I really don't want to do an x-ray because of your age. You know, we, we don't want to have you exposed to radiation. Um, but what you can do is you can run, swim, and bike this summer. Keep moving. It's going to get your muscles loosened up. So that is what I did at the urging of my parents, not because I wanted to. 
it was really uncomfortable. But flash forward like about three months, not any better. Go to the doctor who finally does an x-ray and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Your hip has been broken this whole time. So that segued into let's repair the hip and then you will be fine. I had a hip pinning done in October and I started losing a lot of weight. My hair started falling out. I was never hungry. And I actually said to my parents over dinner one night, I'm like, am I dying? Do I have cancer and you're just afraid to tell me? And no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. It's just a broken hip. But I still wasn't getting any better. So in January, January 20th, actually, went in for a biopsy, came out, you know, usual grogginess and stuff like that, but I was fine. And the doctor came and said to my mom, your daughter has cancer, take her home and call hospice. (gasps) And that was it. He walked away. That was basically, you know, that, that, that was my sentence. Go home, do palliative care and hope for the best. My parents just couldn't accept that. So they got a second opinion at um, a larger hospital who also said, you know, there's nothing we can do. And that still wasn't really their cup of tea. So we ended up going to Boston, to Mass Gen. And the doctor said, we can fight this. No big deal. And that started my 18-month chemo protocol. I had a couple of different operations. It was called limb salvaging, which technically it salvaged the limb, but it's not necessarily useful. But I had my hip joint removed and my femur removed. My femur was replaced by a donor bone, which... If you can be an organ and bone donor, please do it. And my pelvis was fused. And the whole sport part comes in because, you know, Mass General Hospital is up against the Charles River in Boston. And there's this really great running path there. And I used to watch the runners. And then I heard about the Boston Marathon. And I said to my nurse, if I grow up, I'm going to do the Boston Marathon. I didn't know it at the time, but I would never, ever run another step because I ended up needing full-time crutches all the time. But that, that, that was always in the back of my mind. I want to do the Boston Marathon. And it became a goal that got set aside once I went to college and just kind of carried on with life. And I was very much of the opinion of, I can't do that. I can't do this. If it's something physical, you know, I can't do that. And I ended up gaining way too much weight and becoming way too inactive. But the whole Boston thing would pop up every now and then. And it just kind of, you know, I'd be like, I can't do that. So in 2014, I learned, actually 2013, I learned about the Jenny Fund, which is a children's um, cancer research agency organization in um, Boston. And they do just amazing stuff for kids with cancer. So in 2013, my husband and I said, we're going to do the half marathon. Um, It's a walk. There's no pressure, no big deal. So we did that. And I'm obviously I'm slow, but we did that. It was great. So the following year I said, you know what? I'm going to do the full marathon because the full marathon goes along the Boston marathon course. So I raised the money I grabbed my crutches and off we went. Oh my gosh, we started at like six in the morning and 13 hours later, we crossed the finish line. At that point, I had no clue about nutrition, hydration, anything like that. I was just a walking zombie basically by the time we hit the finish line. 
And in the process, I did some pretty severe um, damage to my wrist and my elbows and shoulders from using the crutches for 13 hours straight. And my husband looked at me after we crossed the finish line and he said, you can't do this again. And that was such a tipping point for me. It was one thing for me to be like, I can't do this, but for somebody else to say it, I basically looked at him and I said, you can't tell me what to do. I'm doing it again. And I went on the internet and that's how I discovered hand cycling, which for anybody who doesn't know, it's a recumbent bicycle, three wheels. You're usually either sitting upright or basically laying on your back and you power it with your hands. And once I discovered hand cycling, my whole life changed. Um, you know, the first year I did some races and I was absolutely terrible because again, I did not understand nutrition or fitness or hydration. I thought, okay, I'll have a pop tart and I'm going to go do a marathon, which not a good idea. (laughs) I did my first marathon. I think I was like three hours, which is just in my mind, abysmal. I came in fourth place in the women. Did another, I did the Marine Corps marathon a few months later. Same thing. I was just, I was horrible. And I just couldn't accept the fact that I had this whole new lease on life and I sucked. It was just like, come on. So I found a trainer at our local gym and he helped me understand the importance of macros and balancing your nutrition and making sure you're getting enough water and that really working on strength training. I had the opinion of, I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to get bulky because that is what you read in so many magazines. And it's just not true at all. It actually really helped me to the point where my third marathon I ever did, which was the following year after doing So Crummy, I won. And I missed qualifying for the Boston Marathon by 21 seconds. I just started doing more and more marathons and I have a couple of wins under my belt, which is pretty cool. And that gave me the physical strength to get into the Spartan world. And I started doing obstacle course racing as well. And it just, it's become such a way of life that I just can't get enough, basically. That's so amazing. Before your husband told you you couldn't do it, what was going through your mind when you moved from the I can't to I can? So for that first Boston marathon that you did, what took you from can't to can? I always say, you know, you have to reframe your mindset. And I started thinking, you know, what if I can do this? They always say anything is possible. So what if I can? If I try and I fail, oh, well, I haven't wasted anything. But if I try and I succeed, I mean, that's just pretty cool. If I can overcome trying to fit in to society's norm and embrace adapted sports, which was something that In the beginning, I was a little hesitant to do because, I mean, I had crutches. I was upright. People usually thought I had a sprained ankle, and they're like, I hope your ankle gets better soon. When in reality, you know, this is a lifetime deal. And I realized that by allowing people to think that I just had a sprained ankle and I'm going through my day um, just, you know, waiting it out for a couple of weeks, I'll be all better, that I was doing a disservice to anybody who was going through something like I was. And once I found that, that why, that reason to push me to do what I'm doing now, to become more vocal, to become more outspoken, just try to put other options out there for people that might have some type of impairment. It just, 
not only opens up doors for me, but it opens up doors for somebody else who might want to try to do what I'm doing. And once you find that reason to push you, you know, you, you really can shine. I, I know that sounds cheesy, but. No, it, no, I love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. Do you ever find yourself in self-doubt? And if so, you know, how do you find your way out of that place? You know, I think we all have those bad days where you think, you know, why is this happening? Or why is this my life? Or, or you know, something along those lines. And so often somebody will, if I'm having one of those days, I've had people say to me, well, so-and-so has it so much worse. And my thought is, oh my gosh, don't say that to me. You're invalidating my feelings right now. It, it does help you think and put things into perspective. But I think we need to go through those bad days. I think we need to learn to appreciate those bad days. Because once you get out of that valley, you realize that was temporary. My situation that I am living in right now, it's permanent. But those feelings were temporary. And if I just kind of reshape how I'm looking at things, okay, yes, I hurt. But at least I can feel. Or, yes, it's icy out. It's going to be a horrendous time trying to walk into work. But, you know, I can, I can walk into work. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. I'm not supposed to be. You know, 30 years ago, I was supposed to die. So it's kind of hard to stay in that really, really negative mindset when you stop to think, that's 30 years of, like, smiles and laughter and and yeah even the bad days but it's all the time that I shouldn't have so I'm definitely going to try to appreciate all of it even when it's bad since you've been an adult have you talked to your parents about what that was like for them and how this all unfolded when at first they were told you were gonna die and then they just said nope we're not accepting this answer have you heard the story from the other side? Yeah. And one of the things that I really need to credit my parents with was I told them in the very beginning, I want to know what's happening. Please don't lie to me. Please don't um, sugarcoat things. If it's going to be bad, I want to know it's going to be bad. I don't want to go in with my hopes up. And from day one, they've been super honest about everything in terms of medical stuff. Whether it was, oh, we're just going in for a checkup or, okay, we're going in because you might need a spinal tap or, you know, all of those huge range of things that could happen. They were always, you know, pretty forthcoming, whether or not they thought it would scare me or hurt me or whatever. We just kind of took the information, digested it, and then moved on. And even now, that, that's how I prefer to, to go through life. I want to know what... what the different scenarios or possibilities are so I can figure out how to adapt myself to it. And just, I think just stubbornness and disbelief fueled, you know, searching for the right answer, finding the right doctor. So amazing. I can't imagine going through something like that at 11, right when you're on the cusp of puberty and your whole world changing. Oh yeah. You know, junior high, it was interesting. I, I had this big brace that I had to wear. I was on crutches. I had no hair and I had glasses. So I was not homecoming date material by, you know, traditional standards. But again, that kind of shaped who I am today. And I was this horrendous wallflower. 
who just desperately tried to fit in up until I discovered adaptive sport. Have you encountered limiting expectations from others? And if so, how do you deal with that? Oh, absolutely. I think education is key from the adaptive athlete standpoint or somebody who's aspiring to be an adaptive athlete. They have to believe they can do it. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, the people around them need to believe that it's possible too. Um, And once you start learning about all the different options that are out there, all the different equipment, the support groups, you know, a lot of doors will open up. And one of my favorite stories to tell in terms of, you know, people not quite understanding what we're capable of is last year, I had just won the Boston Marathon. Our local media did a story on it, like a quick interview. And maybe two days later, I went to the grocery store. And I usually will use a crutch in one hand and hang on to the cart with the other. Normally I have two crutches, but that's enough stability where I can shop. And this really sweet older lady came up to me and she said, I am just so proud of you. You are just, you're you're so inspirational. I am so proud. And I'm thinking, cool. My first brush with with fame, you know, she must have watched her TV interview. And when I said, oh, you know, thank you so much. It, It was, you know, really exciting to be able to do what I did. And she said, I know. You're doing your own grocery shopping. I bet you even drove here all by yourself. Oh. <laughs> and as I stopped my head from exploding, I just looked at her and I said, you know, I think all of us are, are much more capable than what we believe. <laughs> Left it at that when in my head I'm thinking, I just won a freaking world majors marathon. Come on, lady. And it was just that moment that really drove home to me that, People don't understand. Somebody sees a wheelchair or crutches or a cane and they think, oh, gosh, I would never want to be like that. When in reality, for me, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today without all of that. That's that's a really incredible story. And uh, you really went high when she was being so condescending. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those moments where you take a breath and think before you speak. If it were me, I think on my drive home, I'd be thinking of all the things I could have said and working myself <laughs> on it. What do you wish that people knew about adaptive athletes? You know, I wish people would realize that it might look different, but it's the same. You know, the same amount of training goes in, the same amount of work goes in. The, the, the predominant difference is the cost in competing in a sport. As an example, if I want to do a triathlon, which I do want to do, I need a hand cycle, which can range from $3,000 to $16,000. And I need a push rim racing wheelchair because I can't run. So I have to use that particular chair for the running portion. And that's another three dollars to $10,000, depending on um, the level of equipment you get. You know, it's not as simple as buying a bike from the local bike shop and a good pair of running shoes. So in order for us to be equal, it takes a lot more money to get there. No kidding. That's a lot of gear right there. There are a lot of gear costs. Will the triathlon be your next challenge? I'm hoping it will be. The goal has been a half Ironman, basically, is my main goal. I have so much work before I can get there. I'm actually getting a new hand cycle next week, which I'm hoping will help 
you know, improve my time there. I'm going from a 43 pound piece of equipment to a 20 pound piece of equipment, um, which makes a huge difference when you're pulling yourself up a hill. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and then using a board push rim uh, and that is a whole new learning experience. It's a three wheeled wheelchair and you're tucked in really tight and just um, hitting the, the, the rim part of the chair to propel yourself forward. And uh, I'm hoping it's lack of practice, not lack of coordination that's hindering me right now. New bike is exciting. New gear is always exciting. And I'm sure the weight difference is going to be huge. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the only way I was able to get it was the support of a couple of nonprofits, family, friends, the community, because it's a $15,000 bike. And I know a lot of people don't have that kind of cash laying around. So it really does take a village. Let's talk more about your village. Who do you have supporting you or what's been your support system as you've gone after bigger and bigger goals and have gotten deeper and deeper into your sports? My husband, Tom, he's the number one supporter, biggest fan, biggest encourager. Um, He puts up with me being cranky on rest days. He puts up with the alarm clock going off at 4 a.m. He's my Sherpa and my guide when it comes to race day. I couldn't ask for a better partner in this have a fantastic coach, Larry, who just has really helped me get to where I am right now. And different nonprofits that are out there that support adaptive athletes, when you find your team, it just clicks. The I Am Evil Foundation got me started. They've helped me get the new hand cycle I'm getting, and they just, they're the ones who've made me realize so much more is possible. Not only do they push me, they allow me to push myself to really reach for those big goals and how you you can just shine and it's okay. You can be you. Do you have any meet cute stories from a race, someone that you've met and made a long-term or meaningful connection with? Yeah, absolutely. There are two women who are also hand cyclists that I met. Actually, one of them really intimidated me and I was afraid of her the first time I met her. But it's evolved from you're scary to you're like... You're my grounding force. The three of us talk every day. We just, it's become a very long distance friendship. But, you know, we have that common bond of hand cycling, which is not common. There are not a lot of female athletes in the sport. So to be able to share that with somebody else is pretty cool. And the, the other one would be Amanda Sullivan. Bumped into her at a Spartan race, took a quick picture, and... I think that was like in August. In November, she ran the New York City Marathon on crutches. And my husband and I were able to finish my race and go change, go grab some food. And it was actually when we were eating, I learned I won that division because it doesn't really count. There's no podium. There's no anything like that. And we headed back to the finish line and we wanted to see Amanda finish. And we waited and I get all this crazy energy on race day. So we ended up walking the course backwards. It was late enough that most of it was shut down and all the athletes had been moved to the sidewalk. So we started walking backwards and eventually ran into her on the course and we were able to finish with her. And that is probably one of the best moments of my life. And that was literally just a chance encounter meeting in August to actually being a part of her realizing her goal in November. 
and it, it was really just a fluke. So that was pretty cool. What are you looking forward to right now? Uh, short term. Uh, Monday cannot get here soon enough because that is when the new hand cycle will be delivered. Another short term. I mean, we are heading to Boston, one of the few states we can travel to, given the COVID travel restrictions for New York. And we're going on a bicycling vacation. Like, all we're doing is cycling. Technically, we're supposed to be on a cruise in Bermuda right now. So, you know, Boston, riding a bike, not quite the same thing. But uh, given the year, I am so excited to go somewhere. It doesn't even matter that it's you know, four hours away. Yes. Change of scenery. So important right now. (laughs) That's really exciting. It really is, which is a little sad. (laughs) Austin's like second home that, you know, they saved me. They helped kind of let me hit, reach my goals. And, you know, I think the thing I'm really looking forward to is racing starting up again. Um, I've done a couple of virtual marathons. It is not the same. Um, Mm -hmm. no obstacle course racing this year. So it just, I really miss the people you meet along the way. I really miss meeting up with all the different, um, adaptive and para athletes and, you know, comparing battle wounds and, and, and stories of training incidents and, you know, just that really off the wall stuff that uh, a traditional able-bodied athlete might not get. Like for me, Um, I'm able to pick up my right leg. I don't have a hip joint, so I can't move it on my own, but I can pick it up and I can spin my leg almost all the way around. So my foot is facing the opposite direction of what it should. Um, And it turns out that is not helpful when you're weightlifting. (laughs) Wow, that's a really cool party trick. (laughs) Um, You know, and just stuff like that, that somebody who... Um, also has movable or removable parts, kind of. <laughs> so it's, I'm just looking forward to a little bit of normalcy returning. I mean, I literally trained for like five months straight and I, I did my virtual Boston marathon on, on Monday. So that was my first race. Congratulations. Thank you. It was fun. I think it was not the same. Yeah. It's weird with no crowds, no support, cars on the road. That was fun. And I'm thinking of rolling speed bump. I mean, I'm laying down, so. Um, oh, yeah, that's kind of scary. How did the race go? It was good. I took nine minutes off my fastest ever marathon time. Wow, congratulations. Oh, thanks. I was like 152 and change, but ultimately, I'll probably end up in like last place or something because my course in the Adirondack Mountains is not necessarily the same as like somebody in Alabama or whatever, but you know, just to have the opportunity to do it was pretty cool. Sounds like you haven't let up at all, even during quarantine, which is amazing. Oh, it helps with my sanity. (laughs) The joke at our house is it helps keep us out of divorce court. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Activist. We publish new conversations about topics related to fitness, health, and community every week. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen. And to join us for live workshops and movement classes, please visit flexandflow.org slash join.